0: Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible teaching, Jesus centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be back with you guys. Julie and I took a little break to go on a little vacation. Uh, for many of you know that we were uh, going to climb a mountain. Well, we climbed that mountain and we paid for it. We did, the, my son led us to climb uh, Yosemite. We did the lower falls and the higher falls and we all fell. But, uh, but God was good. It was great to be with him, be with my kids. My daughter from New York came in, so that was a blessing and be with all that's going on, so it's brilliant. Hey, guys, um, we're doing baptisms on the 22nd. We're going to do a little different. We're going to have church service at the beach on the 22nd. So if you show up here on the 22nd, it's not the rapture. We're at the beach. Okay, so I just want to encourage you guys to come on out. We're going to start a service at 10 o'clock. We're going to have Spanish and English together. If you've never been baptized or want to be baptized, see Pastor... uh, uh, Sean, I just lost brain. Pastor Sean in the back, the center, uh, welcome center, and we'll make sure we get you signed up because we want to know, you guys are going to get blessed with some shirts and different things like that we normally do. I just want to make sure everybody's got the right size and all those different things. Hey, we're starting a new sermon series, Unity, Unity for a Purpose, uh, this morning. So if you open your Bibles to John, the 17th chapter. John chapter 17, for those that are familiar with the gospel, John, it's it's Jesus' prayer. We're going to be looking at Jesus' prayer for unity starting with prayer this morning. For many of us, we have 1991 etched in our mind. It was the day that we saw Rodney King be beaten by four officers in L.A. These officers were indicted for the beating and later acquitted, which later led to the L.A. riots in L.A. in 1991. We also got to see Reginald Denny being beat up, the truck driver who was brutally beaten because of those riots. Three days into those riots, Rodney King came out and said these famous words, people, I just want to say, can't we all get along? Can't we all get along? 30 years later, at a pandemic, at politics, And I could still hear the same plea. Can't we just all get along? I think the world is looking for some answers. I think the world is looking for some answers. It's looking for unity. But as the world is searching for unity, and as the world is searching for answers, what about the church? We are currently the most divided faith group. We have more denominations, ministries, parachurch ministries, church splits, backbiting, egocentric believing that our theology and our methodology is better than others. Our division troubles God, causes the world confusion, and grieves the spirit. The church is and should be the answer for this divided world. God's bride cannot be divided because a house divided will fall. We are called to love one another or we'll we'll be consumed by one another. We have a purpose for our unity, and that purpose of the church is to, to glorify God and to bear witness of his love to a hurting and troubled world. So more than ever, we need to be a unified church. We need to be a unified church And so I believe this sermon series that we're going to start on unity is going to address the unity in the church because we do have a purpose. Disunity will kill us. It will destroy us. And so we're going to start the sermon series this morning looking at Jesus' prayer of unity, looking at the heart of God, looking at his desires, and we're going to see his heart in this prayer so we can understand and know truly what the heart of God is. If you have your Bibles up in John 17, let me give you a little bit of context here. Jesus has already broken bread with his disciples. He's going to get ready to go to the cross. And somewhere between him leaving the upper room, crossing the Kidron Valley, and going into the Garden of Gethsemane, he lays out this prayer that we see in John 17. I truly would call this the Lord's Prayer. We know we have, we often call Matthew 6, Our Father on heaven, hallowed be thy name. That prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But really that's the disciples' prayer because the disciples asked, teach us how to pray and Jesus gave them that model of prayer. But here, this is the Lord's Prayer, John 17. The whole chapter, if you have your Bible, it's usually open in red letter edition because these are the words of Jesus. This prayer is really broken up in three parts. In verses 1 through 5, it's Jesus praying for himself to the Father. In verse 5, it says, oh, Father. He's he's connecting his relationship with his Father. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's he's getting ready to lay down his life. And so he prays for himself. In verses 6 to 19, it's really a prayer for his disciples. He's, He's praying for the ones that he has shepherded. The 11 that were left we know Judas has already betrayed Jesus I think that's why in verse 11 it says holy father because <laughs> it's dealing with the issues of a holy God it's it's connection with the believer in a holy father and in verses 20 to 26 he prays for the future church he's actually praying for us this morning in verse 26 he says oh righteous Father, as he opens up that prayer, looking at really the need for connection with the world that we have a righteous God. This morning, we're going to look and focus really on verses 20 and 26, looking at the future church, looking at us today, this morning. So I want to read verses 20 to 26 of John 17, and then we're going to look at it this morning. I do not pray for these alone, Jesus says, but also for those who will believe In me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for this morning. We pray for your hand, Lord. We pray for your Holy Spirit to teach us and to instruct us and to guide us and to lead us. Lord, we pray that we could see your heart in this prayer. We pray that we can be moved by this prayer. We pray that we can understand this unity, not through the physical, but through the spiritual. Father, only this unity could come by your power and by your Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray for that this morning. Teach us, Spirit. Speak to us this morning that we may learn. Father, we want to abide in you this morning because we know that when we abide in your word, we will bear much fruit. So we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Have you ever seen on television a commercial that advertises medication for the treatment for health issues, and then it's followed up with a disclaimer? you know what I'm talking about? This medication might cause side effects, headaches and bleeding and ulcers. If so, consult a doctor. Isn't this medicine supposed to help us, right? And then you have a disclaimer. I read a comma strip that read something like this, follow Christ and be a part of a dynamic church. And then a large crowd began to gather. Then there was a disclaimer, right? Organized religion may lead to interfaith wars, unresponsive bureaucracies, and doctrinal debates that divide and drive away members. And the crowd dispersed. And there was a sigh. If as it was such easier, if as it was much easier before they made ad disclaimers. This morning in the prayer, Jesus ain't giving a disclaimer. He's, he's not doing that this morning. His prayer is never a disclaimer. He's praying He isn't praying for organized religion. He's praying for his future church. He's praying for his disciples and the work of the gospel through their lives. He is praying for oneness in the church. And so the first thing this morning is Jesus prays for the future church in verse 20. It says, I do not pray, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone. That was referring to the disciples. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. It's a future. He's talking about, the, he's praying for the future here. He's not praying for organized religion. He's praying for unity. He's, 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 he's actually giving vision for the church and the disciples and their mission. Johannes Liger, a German theologian, said this, the real unity of the church must not be organized, but be exercised. That there's an action to our, our unity this morning but when you read this prayer i want you to catch this and it's kind of hidden behind the scenes here sometimes when you study you got to ask questions why is jesus praying this way when you guys study the word ask yourself questions what's going on in the context why is jesus praying this what might be the background is happening what's happening with the disciples those are questions when you study by asking here's one i i was thinking about jesus is confident in the investment of his disciples because he's ready to go to the cross. And only a matter of hours will the disciples run from him and Peter will deny him and, and they're going to flee and they couldn't pray for one hour. He saw the failure. He saw the, the, the struggle of the disciples. But in his prayer, he's saying, look at through these men's words, the gospel's going to be preached. So I know their failures are only going to be temporary. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. That we have our moments of failures, our moments of weaknesses, but we get, we're back in the game and we see this. We see there, Jesus is like, I have hope in these guys. I know God's going to pull through with them. Jesus knew that his work for three and a half years was not in vain. That he poured into these disciples and these disciples got held in the palm of his hand he knew that his disciples had received the word of eternal life, and that they would respond. That's why he prayed for them in the first, middle part of the uh, of the prayer in John 17, and that's why he says, "I'm not just praying for these ones." He was praying for those disciples that would come. He also prayed that they would be one. He even said that among his twelve in verse eleven that they would be one. And they would be unified in love, and that like the son and the father are unified as one. And then he's broadening that prayer as we get into the latter part of this prayer. What has he had done? In verse nineteen and previously, he sanctified them with the word. He set them apart with the word. Sanctify them, word that you may sanct others with. Sanctify others with the truth. I give him this sanctified word and I'm praying that you're going to take that word and you're going to sanctify others. I'm praying not only for these, but those to come. He's praying for the future church. This prayer is for us, the church today, the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. He's broadening his base of what the church is going to look like. And so this, verse 20 is this transitional Prayer, he's redirecting his prayer to a broader sense. He's praying for the fruit that's to come, the fruit of the resurrection, the fruit of this new church. You know what prayer is? Prayer is the watering of the garden. Prayer is what we do when we water the garden for where the seed has been planted because the, the, the gospel, the, the seed of God's word has been planted in the hearts of men. And you say, I, I want you, you're gonna go tell those are the words that they believe. That's the seed that's been planted but prayer is the watering of that seed. Why do we pray? And why do we take time to pray in the church? Why do we take time to pray in the service? Maybe that might be the only time you prayed all week. But we're praying for our members of our family and our friends and our bosses and those in our neighborhood We're praying that the words that we've shared with them and and the love that we displayed with them and the seed that's been planted in the heart, that it would grow, that it would bear fruit. Jesus is praying for the disciples and he's praying for the future church that one day the word that's been planted is going to be watered and that it's going to bear much fruit. You want unity in your family, in your marriage, in your community, in the world? Pray that the gospel is received. Pray that the gospel is received. Jesus is praying for the answer. Jesus is praying for the answer, for the disunity in the world. The disunity of this world is really separation from God. That's the biggest disunity today, is that man is separate from God. And sin has separated him from God. The Bible says that we were alienated, we were far from him, but then because of our relationship with God, he's brought us near. Because of the blood of Jesus, he's brought us near. He's unified us in that we are one. The gospel unifies us with God. That's what the gospel does. And so what is Jesus doing in his prayer, verse 20? He's praying for the power of the message of the gospel. He's praying. This is my purpose. One of my purposes is that the message would be powerful from the words, right? The message of the gospel is unified. The greatest unity is a separation from God, but I want to take that was, that was broken and separate and unify it and bring it together, to be reconciled together. And his prayer is that the words of these disciples, the words of these men that people would receive them, whether it was through oral communication or written communication. We got his word. That's his written communication today, and we read it that we might receive it and that their words, the words of the gospel would unify and enemies would become beloved friends. That's the power of the the gospel. And so his specific prayer is that the words that would go forth would unify and make one family, one body. And so he's praying for the future church. Here's the second thing that he's doing, in the power of his prayer, Jesus' prayer. Jesus prays for the unity of the future church. He's praying for the unity of the future church. Now he's only praying freely. Now there's a purpose here. I am praying specifically for unity. That's the purpose. The largest living organism by mass is thought to be the Aspen Grove in Utah, central Utah. It's known as Pondo, the Trembling Giant. In fact, in 2006, the United States Postal Service made a stamp in commemoration of the aspen, calling it one of the 40 Wonders of America. This is the characteristic of this tree. The grove of aspen appears to be a a stand of many trees, but in fact, each tree shares the same root. It looks like a grove, and there's a bunch of trees, but all those trees on the outside look like they're independent, but under the ground, They're one. They're rooted in one root. During an intense fire, the organism survives underground with its root system sending up new stems in the aftermath of each wildfire. In fact, the word pando in the Latin translates, I spread. When the church is rooted in Christ, it can stand together, no matter the elements it might face. It's the first thing, only makes it stronger, and its love will spread and make it another wonder of the world. Another wonder of the world. And so he prays for unity for a purpose. Look at verse 21 that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I knew that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you see God's heart? Do you see his desire? The desire was unity among the believers. There's his heart. There's his desire that they would all be one. Psalm 33, 1 says, How good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. In unity. Jesus already knew what the future held. Jesus already knew the diversity of the future church. And he knew the importance of bearing good witness to the future church. He knew that the times were coming where the Jews and the Gentiles will be one. But he knew there was going to be some challenges with that. He knew there was going to be some difficulties with it. He knew that there had to be some things that had to be established to, to make them one. You only have to read Acts chapter 9, breaking down the walls with Cornelius and Peter with the Jew and Gentile relationship. Go back and read to Acts chapter 10 with the vision of breaking down even Peter's own Spiritual disunity and prejudice toward Gentiles that God would eventually use that as a moment where Pentecost fell on the Gentile world and the church was opened up to all people. We need to pray for the unity of the brethren, the church universal to be united. But let me tell you something, unity is not uniformity. It's not the sameness, right? We have unity in our diversity, God is a creative God. He is a a diverse God. And God is always working. He's always moving. And He's using churches to do that. You remember when disciples were traveling with Jesus and they came across some individuals that were casting out demons in Luke chapter 9? And the disciples wanted to, to stop them because they said, Oh, they're not of us, they're not with our gang. They're not with our posse. And what did Jesus do? He said to them, leave them alone. They're not against us. They're for us. He he was against sectarianism. He was against separation. He was against segregation. He was against all those things. You know, a football team has many players with different roles. You might call them job descriptions, right? But they are just one team. And with one purpose to reach the goal line according to the rules of the game, the church is a unified team. It's a multi-ethnic, diverse, unified team with a purpose to live out its kingdom rules and proclaim the gospel and the strength of our team is determined by the unity of our team. Amen. That's the church. Revelation 7 gives us a picture of that unity ultimately in heaven when we read, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude with no one could number, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. That's heaven. That's a picture of heaven. If the church can't get along on this side of heaven, how's does it get along in heaven? If we can't worship God in our diversity, what makes you think we're going to blow our minds when we get to heaven? I I love Friday night worship. When you came to Friday night worship, we worshipped in English and in Spanish. Because every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to be in heaven. Not just English, not just Spanish, but other language will be worshipped in heaven. We just get a little taste of it here sometimes right marcus we might just worship in amatic right we might to we might worship in whatever language god brings because that's the diversity of our god and how does he illustrate this this unity by describing his unity with his father right we have unity because christ is in us we have unity because god lives in us that Christ in us the hope of glory, he empowers us. He gives us the power and strength to live in unity because He's been given us a He's given us a, a divine nature, a supernatural nature. That unity is patterned after the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, a, a unity that takes place there. The three in one. Amen. We know that the Father and the Son had a, a deep bonding here. Jesus and his Father had a deep And we knew that when he said, my God, my God, why has that forsaken me? When that disunity, that bond was broken at the cross because it was so intimate. He's saying, this intimacy I have with my father is the same intimacy you have with me, and it's going to keep us united. Our unity in the bond of peace. But what is the purpose of this unity? Again, unity with a purpose that they would believe in my coming. That they would believe in my coming, right? Jesus' ministry would be validated by the unity of his people. That they believe that I was sent by the Father. What a great testimony we can have to the world. We are a refuge to the world filled with unrest and disunity. This place should be a refuge, this place should be a rest. All those are heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest, Jesus said. The church should be a place where people get refueled and and refreshed. A place of healing, a place of restoration, a place of reconciliation. A place where they can get right with God and get right with one another. That's the picture, that's the unity he's talking about and he's laying out. He prays the unity will come when we See God's glory. Look at verse twenty-two. It says this: "And the glory which you gave me, Father, you gave me glory." Means Jesus, which you gave me. I've given them that they may be one, just as we, capital double W, are one. His glory, Jesus' glory. The Father gave him glory, gave him His glory. What is that? His glory, His beauty, His presence. Jesus was given the glory of his father. And we got to see it when he came down. We have been blessed to experience his glory and also be partakers of his glory. That's the promise. We've been justified. We've been sanctified. And we've been glorified. Romans 8.30, when he called these, he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. He made us Holy. He sanctified us. See, the Father doesn't see my old nature. He only sees my new nature. I hope you catch that. The Father doesn't see my old nature. He sees my new nature. He doesn't see my unrighteousness. Because I'm covered by the blood, He sees His righteousness in me. We rep the glory of God. Can you imagine what the church could look like if we saw each other in our new nature and not in the old nature? Unity would be powerful. Unity would be powerful. I, I believe the world needs to see the glory in the church. God's presence through the church. His of glory, his, his presence was dwelt in the holy of holies on top of the mercy seat On the Ark of the Covenant and when they traveled his presence was on that very thing in the middle of that. His His glory was seen in the Old Testament when he was a a cloud by day and a, a fire by night. His glory was seen in the New Testament when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the only glory of begotten of the Father and of the Son full of grace and truth. We see the glory in the future because he's the Lamb that will be the light of the new Jerusalem, Revelation twenty-one twenty-three. The world needs to see God's glory, and he needs to see God's glory through his people. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of Christ. We are the manifestation of Christ on this side of heaven. You know, our churches are very diversified. The body of Christ is diversified. It's, it's, it's different. Some experience the presence of God through high liturgy. Catholic, Episcopal, Lutheran, right? Some experience the presence of God through low informal worship settings, tongues or prophecy or healing. You might call them Pentecostals. Others experience God's presence through caring for the poor, feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, the social activists. Some might call them the left. Others might find the presence of God in teaching and training and grounding people in the word and in doctrine. We call that fundamentalist or the right. You see the high and the low, the left and the right. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of the cross. So, so it's a picture of a diverse family. Everything begins at the cross. God is bigger than our diversity, bigger than our different diversity. God is bigger than the things that we are. God is bigger than our differences. And he uses it all. I've shared with you often, they were called to be witnesses, Acts 1.8. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts. That's our mission. He empowers us of that. Witnesses to bear witness of the truth of the gospel. To bear witness of what we know to be true. He didn't call me to be the judge. And he didn't call me to be the jury. Judgment will come from God. My job is to proclaim the gospel. My job is to proclaim the truth. Listen, the Lord looks at the high liturgical churches as his holiness. And those who have low liturgy is a reflection of his power. And, and the left is a reflection of his compassion. And the right is a reflection of his righteousness. There's room for all who name the name of Christ. It starts at the glory of his cross. And the world needs to see the glory of God. Amen. The purpose of his glory was to unify the church. And he's praying for the bond of a new family, unity among brothers and sisters. Ephesians 2 14 and 50 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. He has broken down the middle walls of separation, having abolished in his flesh the eternity enmity, that is, the law of commandments continued in order since, so to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. And he calls that a mystery. That was one of the mysteries. There were many mysteries in the Bible, mysteries of his coming, mystery of Jesus, the Messiah coming, mystery of Christ in you, the mystery of this new church coming, making one new man, one new person, one new family, one new church. And then what does Jesus do? He prays for unity to be manifested through love. His purpose, manifested through love. Look at 23. I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Unity is a sign of love. Unity is a sign of humility. Humility is the cornerstone. It is what he uses to build the church. The humble I will exalt but the proud I will cast out. Spurgeon said this, to promote unity of the church by creating a new division is not wise. Cultivate at once the love of truth and the love of the brethren. Cultivate love of truth, the word, and the love for one another. And then we'll be perfected in love because love unifies. And if we love one another, the world will see that and believe in Jesus. When it sees our unity, when it sees our love, it's going to be drawn. It's going to be drawn. And the Father's love was expressed through his Son to the world, right? Romans 5.8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. He demonstrated, he showed it, he manifested it in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our unity makes it possible for the world to know God's perfect love. And so Jesus claimed to be unity with God and with one another. And then we come under the banner of love. Then I close with this last point. As we're talking about Jesus' prayer of unity. Jesus prays for the eternal unity with him in John 24, 17, 24 to 26 Many of you know I was on vacation in Yosemite, but prior to going to that, there was a longing in my heart for my wife and I. And that longing and desire was that we would be with our kids. I hadn't seen my daughter in like seven or eight months. He was been in New York, and my son lives in LA, and my other girls are here. But my desire was that we were gonna come together, we were gonna meet and we were gonna spend time to week together as a family. And I I was longing for it, I was desiring it for it. I was telling my wife after the end of the week I had to drop my daughter off from New York to go back to New York in Fresno. She would take a plane go back to school. And when she got got her luggage and she's walking away, I started getting teary-eyed for my little, my youngest one who was going back to New York. Because my longing was to be with them, was to be with my kids. When you look at verses 24 to 26, you see Jesus declares his longing to be with his children, to be unified with his children, to have a reunion with his children in heaven. It's a picture of heaven. He's praying, hey, you gotta work here on earth, but let me tell you, I'm longing to be with you and be reunited with you again. I'm going away. I'm going away, but I'm longing for this. God is longing to see you again. John 14, 2 and 3 says this, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Man, isn't that that good news to know that God's longing to be with us and be with us again? To be reunited again? And all the craziness is going on. I said, God, I can't wait. (laughs) Can't wait for that peace to be in your presence. So he, what does he do in verse 24? Jesus prays for us to be united with him. Look at this. Father, I desired is, I desire that they also whom you gave me, talking about the believers, may be with me where I am. He's in heaven. He's raised, that's where he's going. That they may behold my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundations of the world. You see this intimate request from Jesus to the Father. He's praying to the Father. Man, I want to be with him. Jesus has a desire for those who are in Christ to have this special reunion. Our glory first comes is preceded by His grace. I want you to hear that. Our glory is preceded by His grace. We are saved by grace, by faith, not of our works. And grace is the door to our glorification. Grace is the ticket to heaven. That's what brings us into his glory. And then he, what he, Jesus is praying that they may see his glory and share in his glory. That's, all he's just saying is, man, I just want to share my beauty with you in heaven. We'll be, when we see him, the scripture says, we'll see him as he is and we'll be as he is, the scripture says. But we also see the loving relationship between Jesus and the Father in this prayer request, right? We see that. Father, is this, can you imagine he's calling his, his, his daddy the one he's been communing with? And remember, he's been, he often goes to pray. He often goes to be with his father, and we're getting a glimpse of what that prayer life is. Many times he says, I went away and I prayed, or I went away all night. And we don't know what, what conversations look like, but John 17 is really a glimpse of what those conversations might be like. And he's saying, Father, this is only hours away from his father denying him father this is my heart he's pleading parents you're pleading to your heavenly father on behalf of others this is my heart god but You see that that relationship going on there he's praying to his father you love me before even time began before the word became flesh before i was even born you love me And Jesus prays for a desire to know him and to love him. Look at verse 25 and 26. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. I know that's a tongue twister right there, right? When I read stuff like that, I have to take a moment to go back and read it again to process it. I right? say that twenty-five times real fast, right? But what we do and what we see here in these verses is, first of all, the son honors his father. He honors his father. He calls him righteous, a holy father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're a righteous God. We have a righteous father. And this righteous Father, people are blind to your righteousness. There are people that don't know your goodness, don't know your righteousness, don't know your holiness. But I know it, and those who follow you know it. The ones I sent out, I'm going to send out, know it. And because they know you, God, they're unified. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you know me, you will know the Father. But here's my purpose, Jesus is saying, is to declare your name and to declare your love. And those that are going to go out are to declare your name and declare your love. There's our mission, guys, right? To declare his name and to declare his love. I'm going to let the name, he says, he talks about his name. He revealed his name throughout the gospel of John. Remember the, all the I am statements, the seven I am statements? I am the light of the world. I'm the door. I'm the bread of life. I'm the way, the truth, and life. He gives out the, all the I am's. The I, all the I am's have to do with the, the knowledge of God. And I am sending out the disciples and I'm I'm proclaiming, Jesus talking to the Father I'm going to magnify your name and the disciples are going to magnify your name. It wasn't at the song of Mary when she heard about that she was going to be pregnant with Jesus. He said, "Lord, let me magnify your name. Let me make your name large." You know what happens when we worship and when we sing together and I love your voices cuz I listen, we're magnifying his name. We're making his name large. We're knowing his name. We're having a, a knowledge and understanding of who God is. Eternal life isn't a location. Eternal life is a person. He says in John 17:3 in the same prayer earlier he says, "And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ whom you have sent." Our mission and our eternal life is to know God. Because the scariest verse in the Bible that I tremble at, if he were to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And what preceded those verses? Did you not cast out demons and heal the sick and feed the poor and do all these great things? But he said, depart from me, for I never knew you. You can do great things and not know God. You could do great things and not know God. People do them every day. But here it says, I want them to know God. I want them to know God's love. And I want them to be known for their love. I want them to be known for the love. Why? Because God loved us before we loved him, right? He loved us in our mess. He loved us in our trespasses and sin. He still loved us. And if you could just get a taste a little bit of that love, understand a little bit enough of that love, it'll pour out into others. It'll pour out in your own relationship with one another. The power of love, that Agape, unconditional love. The love we read in First Corinthians chapter 13 because he calls it a more excellent way. That love that he gave and poured on us that we would see because Romans 5.5 5 says this, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. We would know that love and we would live in that love and we would walk in that love. But let me tell you what you're saying here. Love is our companion. Love is our companion because God is love. Amen. Because God is love. I'm in you, you're in me, and I'm in the Father. Amen. Do you see the unity of that? The companionship that I have with love is with God, and love is a companion. That's why he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you until the end Of the age. He's praying for unity. As he saw unity as a picture with the Father and the Son with Jesus, he's saying, Now us as a church need to be unified with the message, with love. We've been empowered by love because he lives in us. So I close with these thoughts to remind you guys before you partake of communion. Number one, Jesus prays for the gospel expansion of the future church how are you going to expand the gospel this week how are you going to expand the gospel Jesus prays for the unity of the future church what where in your life has there been disunity in the family What steps do you need to take to say, you know what, I have to reconcile some disunity in my marriage and my family with my friends? Where where is it that I have to do that this week? Because the Bible says we're going to partake of community. Communion, it says, leave. If you have a conflict, an ought with a brother, it says, leave the table and go get it right. So, in the church family, where do you need to get it right? Because that's a testimony. And lastly, Jesus prays for the reunion of the future church. That guys, we have a finish line. (laughs) That we have a reunion coming. That we are heavenwards. That we are to be heavenly minded, the scripture says. Some say, don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, me being heavenly minded make me earthly good. And so I want to challenge you with that. That one day we're going to be with him and with us as one. Father, heaven, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings. We thank you for the work of your word. Pray that the word has fallen on good soil. Lord, I pray that we would understand as you're beginning to help us understand unity, that first it starts with your prayer with us. Your heart was that we would be unified, that we would be one. And I pray this morning that we would understand and see your heart this morning that we would bear a good testimony, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.